Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, world. Welcome once again to Tuesday Talk with Key West Lou. I am your host, Louis Patron. I'd like to say this was an exciting week with a multitude of things happening all over the world. Many things probably did happen, but we are unaware of them because Trump was involved in so many things, he took over the news. The media talked about nothing else, and really the newspapers and everything else, they're primarily discussing Trump, Trump, Trump. So most of the show tonight is going to be about Trump. I can't avoid it. Uh, let's see if we get into some of the other interesting stuff. Let me get started. I want to start with Trump tonight, 8 o'clock. He announced to the United States who his nominee for the United States Supreme Court was to replace Justice Scalia. He nominated, his designee is Neil Gorsuch, G-O-R-S-U-C-H of Colorado. He's a Circuit Court of Appeals judge in the federal system. From what I have been able to determine, from what I have been able to gather, uh, because Trump put out three names a week ago that were the finalists, so to speak, uh, this particular individual, Judge Gorsuch, uh, is as close as you can get to Scalia, uh, better than any of the other uh, possible designees. This guy is another Scalia. He can't get beyond Scalia because Scalia was the ultimate uh, when it came to interpreting the Constitution as he did. Uh, and so here's a man, 49 years old. He's on the bench probably for 30, 40 years. And he's going to interpret the Constitution as Scalia would have. Uh, I don't agree, unfortunately or fortunately, with the way Scalia interpreted the Constitution. I think he was off base. I think he created his own method of interpretation. But the conservatives liked it. And so that was it. Uh, the balance on the court will go back to the way it was when Scalia was alive. Uh, generally, the conservative side will win. Sometimes the Democratic sides in their decisions, sometimes they'll split. It's the next uh, appointment that's going to be important, more important than this one. And I fear that the next two or three appointments are going to be made by Trump because we have three justices that are extremely old and could die at any time. All right, but the seat's filled. Whether this gentleman's going to make it, though, I don't know. Uh, The Democrats are going to come out full force against him, and we're going to see. If he becomes the next Supreme Court justice, it will be because of politics. And I won't get into how right now. That's for another day. Uh, But he, he stands a better chance of not getting approved. Let me say that. Okay, moving on. Attorney, let's see, acting Attorney General Sally Yates. Sally Yates. Who ever heard of Sally Yates? This 57-year-old woman, uh, 27-year career employee in the Department of Justice. 
she, under Obama, she was number two in that office. She was the deputy attorney general of the United States. She had to go before a committee to be approved, the Judiciary Committee, and she was with no problem. Uh, she resigned. She quit or she got fired. Actually, she resigned Saturday night. Uh, Monday night, Monday night, I'm sorry. Saturday night, Monday night, Saturday night, Monday night, Monday night. She resigned. And the reason she resigned was she could not do what Trump wanted her to do. It had to do with the uh, executive order concerning immigration and refugees. Uh, she could not defend that in court, she felt. She could not, in good honor, uh, defend the several lawsuits that were brought immediately in uh, various federal courts in the United States. And she said, I can't do it because I think that the executive order is wrong. It's not good for the United States. It's unconstitutional, et cetera, et cetera. And the only thing I can do then is resign. Okay. Now, her, what she did is a profile in courage. It's an act that she should get a medal for. Because very few public servants, very few of any kind of people, would stand up to the President of the United States and say, you are wrong, I can't do this, I would be defying my oath of office. And she did a good thing, she did the right thing. He immediately went out and found somebody else to act as Attorney General until Senator Jeff uh, Sessions gets approved by, by the Senate. And it's questionable whether that's going to happen. This gets amusing after a while. Uh, several years ago, when she was being examined by the Judiciary Committee uh, for the position of Deputy Attorney General, Senator Jeff Sessions, the man who now seeks to be Attorney General, asked her, asked her if she would, at any time, if she had the capacity, would she resist? unlawful orders given by a president. Would she resist unlawful orders given by a president? She said she would. Well, this is what she just did. And for that, she's being condemned. Trump said she betrayed him. Well, she, if she, she didn't betray him. She did what she thought was morally correct. Now he turns around, he hires someone else immediately to do the job, and the problem's taken care of. This is somewhat like the Saturday night massacre when Nixon was president and the walls were closing in on Nixon. Archibald Cox was special prosecutor. And on that particular night, that Saturday night, uh, Nixon asked, told, not asked, Attorney General Elliot Richardson to fire Cox because Cox was around the corner to arresting the president, bringing charges. Uh, Elliot Richardson said, I cannot, and he resigned. Nixon went to William Ruckelhaus, the deputy attorney general, and says, you do it. And Ruckelhaus was a man of honor also. He said, I can't. Uh, and such was the case. That was the Saturday night massacre. Sally Yates, it was the Monday night uh, massacre. This lady did the right thing. We should be proud of her. It takes guts to stand up especially against a president of the United States, and say, you are wrong. Uh, one of the problems Trump is having, and which concerns me, is 
he has all these people in the United States government that can help him. I mean, he's, he's got department heads. He's got agency heads. He's got the military. He's got thousands of people around him. And yet, for everything he's done in the last 12 or 13 days since he became president, he relies on those seven or eight people who sit in the White House with him, his immediate staff. And none of these people, including Trump, really have any governmental experience. They don't know shit from Shinola, and they're trying to run the government of the United States, and they're screwing up the perfect example being the executive order signed by Trump regarding immigration and refugees, uh, which is all screwed up, and it's probably going to be determined to be illegal or unconstitutional. And look at all the things, the furor, the protests, the demonstrations, uh, world leaders getting nervous and upset. Uh, they they did it wrong. <laughs> they did it wrong because they didn't send it out to be approved by these other department heads who have lifetime civil servant employees who ha- know this stuff because they've been working on it all the time. He wants to be an imperial president, Trump. He is acting like an imperial president. George Washington was asked if he wanted to be king. Our people wanted him to be king uh, uh, when he was first going to lead our country. And he said, no, this country should not have a king. We should live by this Constitution. We should have a president. And so he became president. Trump is not king, and Trump is not an imperial president. He's got to get his subordinates involved, and by those I mean not, not the people that pat him on the back and say, we love you, you're right, don't worry about this, they're full of shit. He's got to get his cabinet heads, those that are approved and those that will be approved to work with him, their staffs who've been around forever. He's got to go to the Pentagon and get people. He's got to work with everyone. He cannot decide to do what he, what he does on his own because the result is confusion and chaos. He screws up. You can see what's happened. The translators who helped our, our men in, in, in the Middle East, at the sec, at the danger that they were going to be killed by the enemy. They supported our soldiers and all our Army and Navy personnel and Marines say we were safer because of these people. They were promised they could come to this country afterwards and bring their families because they'd probably be killed if they stayed over there. And a family showed up and they were sent back over the last few days because of this new executive order Trump put out. What about green card holders? My God. You have no idea. It takes almost two years, if not two years, for a person to be approved for a green card. They are vetted all over the place. And yet even a green card wasn't getting you into this country over the weekend. The other problem is he kept Congress out of the loop. You can't keep Congress out of the loop. I mean, our Constitution is set up in our way of government where the House of Representatives and the Senate, they have committees. They have committees, you know. Homeland Committee, Judiciary Committee, all kinds of committees that look at this stuff. And he should have passed this by the committees that were in charge of things that fell under this, uh, this executive order. And he did not, which was an insult to uh, the congressman and the House of Representative people. You can't work this way. You've got to bring everyone into the loop. You can't play with your cards close to your vest here. It's not the way government is run, especially if you don't know how to run a government. I want to talk about two people that are working closely with Trump that I think 
uh, will cause him more pain, more harm than good. Uh, there are two Stevens, Stephen Miller, Stephen Bannon. Uh, these are both, they're in that group of seven or eight who uh, work around the president. They're with him in his office constantly. Uh, Miller is the, a senior advisor to the president. And uh, Bannon is a senior advisor, and he's also chief strategist, whatever that means. He's chief strategist. Now, let me tell you briefly about these people and why they don't belong where they are. Uh, Miller, he's the one who wrote the executive order regarding immigration and refugees that got all screwed up. And it's understandable. He's 31 years old. He's inexperienced. How can anyone 31 years old work on such monumental uh, affairs such as go on in Trump's office now, draw this executive order on immigration and refugees? People can be smart at 31. Many are very intelligent at 31. But it takes another 20 years of experience, in my opinion. You've got to be in your 40s or 50s. Uh, and that's the time when you have sufficient experience to start drawing these legal documents. Miller isn't even a lawyer. He went to Duke for four years. Uh, and he also, he works hand-in-hand with Stephen Bannon. Now, what's the background on this 31-year-old Miller? He was secretary to Congresswoman Michelle Bachman. Remember her? She was a flaming nut. Since 2009, he has been an aide to Senator Jeff Sessions, who's trying to be approved for attorney general, a known, identified bigot his entire adult life, even to today. This guy's got quite a background experience-wise, doesn't he, this Miller? And also, to show you where his mind sits, uh, we've all heard of Maya Angelou, the poet, black woman, poet, sensitive, everyone loved, loves her. He accused the poet, Maya Angelou, of being racially paranoid. She's a racial paranoia, he said. Wow. Now let's go to Bannon. He's not a kid. He's 63 years old. Uh, he's involved right now in a power grab in the White House. It is thought that he has already taken control of that group of seven or eight who work around the president. Uh, Trump looks to him for advice. Trump trusts him. Uh, he's a Washington outsider. He was one who supported Trump during the campaign and then had to withdraw because it was found he had ties to Putin and Russia big time. He was executive chairman for a number of years of Breitbart News. Breitbart News is a white supremacy website. When he became chief strategist and senior advisor to Trump, David Duke, our KKK friend, and the KKK itself, the Ku Klux Klan, said that Bannon was an excellent choice to work in the White House with the president. He's anti-Semitic, knowingly anti-Semitic. Uh, interestingly, Democrats and Republicans oppose him. Not all of them, but most of them. I read something in the last few days, I can't remember who or what, but someone wrote or said that Bannon makes Cheney look like Mother Teresa. Would you believe it? Bannon makes Cheney look like Mother Teresa. Uh, now, here's the most important part of Bannon. And, see, these people don't have to be approved. They're, 
the immediate helpers to the president in the White House. They don't go through any committees to see if they're whacked out or not. Let me tell you about Bannon. It's all public. It's nothing secret I'm telling you here. He wants, a, his major aim in life is to break down and destroy our existing government. You heard me break down and destroy our existing government. The New York Times in an 11-14-16 article said about him, quoted him rather, they quoted him, and listen to what he said in this quote, and I quote, Lenin, Lenin, wanted to destroy the state, and that's my goal too. I want to bring everything crashing down and destroy all of today's establishment. He wants to break down existing government and recreate a new type form of government. What? I don't know. But that's his goal. He wants to be like Lenin. Let's get rid of these, the existing government and we'll put in a new one. We'll figure out what it's going to be and it'll work good, they say. He's got a couple of bad guys in there with him, Trump, and he doesn't realize it. Uh, they probably pat him on the back and all the time and say, Chief, you're doing well. Keep it up. Don't listen to them. We know what we're doing for you, and you know what you're doing. Uh, something interesting popped up. Uh, this just came to be yesterday, last night, and this morning I, I found out about it. I haven't found it on the media any place except I heard about it on one of the political talk shows this morning, very briefly, 20 seconds. Then I went on the computer and started digging, and it was I found confirmation, but it was hard to find. We know that in 2014... Putin had the Russian troops go into the UK, Ukraine and take over Crimea. Now, follow me. Putin and Trump spoke Saturday for one hour on the telephone. Trump says he never met the guy or spoke with him before. Until proven otherwise, I'll accept his word, though I, I got to question it. I'm so, sorry. Anyhow, they talked for a whole hour on Saturday. And Trump seemed satisfied with the conversation. Putin seems satisfied with the conversation. We haven't been told what they said to each other, what was discussed. But on Sunday and Monday, Sunday's the day after the telephone conference, on Sunday and Monday, the Russian troops started moving further into the Ukraine. Big time. Trunk, I'm sorry, uh, missiles, soldiers, tons of soldiers, troops. Uh, tanks, and they're moving into the western part of the Ukraine. Now, we're not hearing about it on the news other than what I've indicated, and I don't know if it's because all we got time for is Trump on the news now, or this is something nobody wants to talk about. I ask the following questions. Did Putin tell Trump on Saturday he was going to invade the Ukraine further on Sunday? Simple question, did he or didn't he? These two guys are going to be buddy buddies. They're going to be asshole buddies. Let's tell each other what we're doing and figure out how we cover each other's asses. Excuse the way I put it. Uh, or did Putin feel following the conversation and based on the telephone conversation that Trump was a soft touch and he could get away with another invasion? I don't know. I'm just telling you what's going on over in the Ukraine. Uh the United Nations has an inter international criminal court. Uh, not all countries belong to it. You don't have to belong to it, even though you're a member of the United Nations. The United States has never joined the court. 
Russia did. But in November, uh, after Putin had sent the troops into the Ukraine, or following it, I'm sorry, last November they started investigating the the International Court, uh, Trump's invasion in 2014 of the Ukraine, and the indication was that they were going to find Russia guilty. Now, I don't know what they... That what happens to Russia if the United Nations International Criminal Court comes down with a determination that Russia was guilty in invading uh, the Ukraine that didn't belong there? Putin didn't screw around. <laughs> in November, when the indication came out from the court the way they were going, he withdrew Russia from the International Criminal Court. So whatever they do decide now, it won't affect them. They have no control over Russia with regard to what happened in the Ukraine. Wild, isn't it? Absolutely wild. They're also concerned, let me say this, they're looking at Putin. The court was looking at Putin with regard to Syria. (laughs) But he doesn't have to worry again because they can say whatever they want. They have no control factor over Putin or Russia, even though Russia is a member of the United States. Okay. I got to stay with Trump some more. Bear with me. Executive order signed a couple of days ago. Five-year lobbying ban. You you work for, it said this way, the words were administration officials cannot work or they are banned from working in where they're going to be lobbying on behalf of industry or some, someone private outside of government for a period of five years following their leaving government. Uh, well, we've had laws like this before. I think it's got to go through Congress. By the way, 90% of these executive orders he's signing mean diddly-dip. They have to be approved by Congress. Most of them require money. <laughs> Congress makes the money. Con- Congress authorizes the funds. Wait, and every, just about everything he's doing costs money. Wait till he finds out we don't have that much money in the budget to do all these things. So 90% of these things require subsequent approval by Congress. I'm telling you, he'll be lucky if he gets 25% of those things. But he's looking like a hero now. Let's go back to the lobbying ban. He said he was during the campaign he was going to drain the swamp. And now he's barring administration officials. Well... The language bothers me, just like people were bothered by the language in the Immigration Refugee Executive Order. What are administration officials? Does that mean just that group working within the White House uh, that the president personally selected, that group of seven or eight? Uh, Does it extend to congressional people, congressmen, senators, or their staffs? What about uh, departments? Department of Homeland Security and so forth. Uh, What about the agencies like the EPA? Uh, What about the military? Eisenhower told us to beware of the military-industrial complex because he knew these generals and admirals leave. uh, I don't know what they make, a general or an admiral, but they leave and go to work for a million, two million, three million, four million dollars for a company manufacturing war items. And they make all this money because they know who to go talk to in the Pentagon, their buddies, to get these things approved. And they all, the buddies who are approving it still in the service know that if they play ball when they get out of the service, they're going to have those good-paying jobs also in the lobbying field. 
Now, don't tell me I'm making this up or I don't know what I'm talking about. Remember, recall Eric Cantor, majority leader, Republican majority leader of the House of Representatives. Uh, He looked like a CPA, with all due respect to CPAs. He had those little metal frame glasses, and he just didn't look trustworthy. Anyhow, big man. Uh, making $174,000 a year as a congressman, been there a long time. Uh, he's majority leader. He's probably getting another 100000 on top of that for the extra work. So maybe he's getting $275,000 a year. Two years in 2014, he lost in the Republican primary. All right. He didn't even serve the balance of the year out of December 31st. A week after he got beat, he resigned from the House of Representatives, and follow me, my friends. I've written about this and talked about this two years ago. He went to work for a lobbying organization, and what was his starting pay? $3.4 million a year. Wowee, $3.4 million a year. That's terrific. Now, that's the swamp that Trump should get rid of. I don't know. Because I can't find any place what he means by administrative officials, administration officials. We'll find out in due course. Let's talk about the United States moving uh, our embassy from Tel Aviv in Israel from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Stupid move, bad move. One of the first things he did upon taking office, uh, and it's bad because of this. We're trying to make peace in the Middle East since. Day one in this thing, back in what the four, late in the four 1940s, the the Palestinians, the Arabs, and the Jews have been in each other's throats, properly so, from both sides. I think as as time moved on, factors changed, facts changed. Everybody's entitled now, I think, to a piece of the action they can't get together. Jerusalem belongs to the Jews and to the Arabs. They both have religious things and other and historical factors, which makes it a city that they both need to occupy. They both for historical and religious reasons. By moving our embassy to Israel, to Jerusalem, we are saying we're on the side of Israel now in this fight because the Palestinians didn't want this to happen. And we've just pissed off. The entire Arab world, okay, uh, we've pissed them off. (laughs) Not only the Palestinians, the entire Arab world. Because Trump's game is going to be to play on the side of Israel now, solidly. And we should always support Israel for all the reasons I don't have to get into. But he's going to really play big time. And instead of helping to pacify, and maybe this time we get a workable solution, though I doubt it. He says, screw him, I'm going to do it this way. He and Netanyahu, they're two nuts. They should take a trip together and not come back uh, because they're birds of a feather. Now, I'm done with Trump. How's that? Bingo. But I've got some other things I want to talk about. I'm going to talk quickly because I only have a few minutes. Something happened today that bothers me very much, and this is a Trump thing, though. Uh, Trump was on television this morning. He was talking to the pharmaceutical industry. He had the CEOs and the big, the big honchos from all the big pharmacy houses in his office. And he's telling them, look, we're going to change things. You're going to take your plants that are making your prescription pills, et cetera, outside the United States. You're going to bring them back here, and we're going to have jobs in the United States. 
and he's got these guys, you know, their, their heads are going up and down. Uh, you're going to manufacture in the United States, no more outside this country, and I'm going to do things for you. You know, I'm going to drop the taxes, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And he also said something that bothers me terribly. Now, I don't know how correctly I got this, and if I'm wrong, I'll tell you next week. But the way it sounded to me, he was saying, and these situations where you got four, someone's only got four weeks to live, they're terminally ill, why keep giving them the pills? Or if you've got someone that's four weeks ill, and if you give them the pills, they may live another four weeks, why give them the pills? Now, I don't know if I, how accurate I am. I know I'm to some degree accurate here. But what he's saying is he's going to decide. They're going. He's going to let the pharmaceuticals decide life and death. He's going to give them permission. I remember back in the 1950s when I was in college and I was in law school. I was pro-life. I'm not anymore. I am. Uh, I believe in choice. But back then, uh, my thinking was this: if we permit the unborn to be killed, or we permit young babies to be killed we are killing the young today that means that tomorrow we're going to kill the old and by the time tomorrow comes i will be one of the old ones and i am when they start talking about this i'm 81 years old it's something to think about scary it's scary life and death being planned by by trump indirectly but being planned that way that's the show for this week I don't know if you found it boring or interesting. I hate talking about things that are in the news all the time. But, Trump, you must talk about that. That's just the way it goes. Uh, I, those of you who are on Facebook, take your cell phone during the day and go live on it and enter Key West Lou. I'm doing one to four or five uh, shots a day. I'm talking. I put the camera in front of me. I turn it on. And I tell you what I think about something, and I'm done. Maybe a minute or two. Today I did one. Yesterday I did five. So go live on Facebook on your cell phone and take a look at me. You can see and hear me. Uh, you may enjoy, you may not. See if you like it. I thank you for joining me this week. I look forward to being with you again next week. <laughs>